Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we have an old friend of mine, Megan Lovegren, who I met at the Long Beach Playhouse like, uh, I don't know, 12 years ago? 12, yeah. 12 years ago, yeah. Uh, and uh, she kind of grew up at the Playhouse and then went off to college and went off to Vegas and has done all kinds of things. Uh, she's a lighting technician who has worked all over the place. She was also a technical director at a university or college for a little bit. Uh, when I first met her, she was doing anything that she could at the Long Beach Playhouse and learned how to set up a light board. And then every three Sundays, she got to set up the light board at the Playhouse. So welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so <laughs> exciting. Now that everybody has nothing to do, I get all kinds of people oh, on the podcast. You should, put up, you should put up the the Long Beach Playhouse picture with like... Uh, uh, you with the ladder and Stacy with the screw gun. Ah, uh, the That's t-shirt Megan designed. For the podcast. Yeah. Okay. A reference image for that t-shirt, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> uh, well, I was also thinking there's a picture of me and Megan and Jackie holding baby girl in front of the playhouse. It's hanging on the wall by our bathroom. Yeah, I have that hallway. one printed too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have plenty too. of pictures. Those are all older pictures. I was looking for a newer picture of Megan. One where she's not like 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only ones I know. Yeah. I don't have a, a copy of my Cirque one. Otherwise, that would be good. But Dang it. Okay. Oh, well. I'll keep, I'll Google it. I was just Facebooking. So uh, I'll yeah. Google and see what I can find. <laughs> uh, anyways, welcome to the podcast. And currently, I think you're in California with me. Like, actually, I think you're in Long Beach, like right down the street, yeah. right? You're at your parents' just house. a couple miles away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> house I dropped you off at plenty of times. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I know how you got into theater, but uh, tell everybody else, how did how did you get into theater at, at what, like 13 years old, I think? Yeah, so um, I was trying to think back on this. And I think in elementary school, I was obsessed with like spies and hackers. And I really just wanted to find a career where I could wear black all the time and have a headset <laughs> and a walkie talkie. And I found one. Um, <laughs> That's but, excellent. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, in middle school, I was doing some acting. I was in a theater program and I also had to do volunteer hours for the community. And so we had to find a nonprofit organization to work with to get these volunteer hours. And so I think I was talking to my dad about it and he suggested maybe looking into the community theater nearby our house. And I think he called over and talked to Andrew and Andrew was like, show up on Sunday morning. We're having set Sunday. And that set Sunday was actually the set Sunday of uh, voice of the turtle, which was actually was my first. first day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually started on the same day, which I totally didn't realize. Nope. It, that was um, a couple years later when we figured that one out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of just, you know, uh, history after that, but kept coming to Tech Week and then eventually got hired to run lights for a show, realized I could maybe make money doing this. And that was <laughs> something that I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I did a little bit of acting. And I remember in middle school, we did Bye Bye Birdie. And they have 
uh, I don't think there's any speaking lines, but there's like the stage manager for the Ed Sullivan show is like a character in Bye Bye Birdie. And I played that character because I wanted to be <laughs> the one like with the clipboard and stuff. <laughs> so, yep, I guess that's how it started. <laughs> yeah, be the one who doesn't have to speak on stage. Exactly. And I think I had to like move set pieces on and off like as Perfect. that character and then go back off stage and continue moving set pieces. <laughs> so when you went to college up at Humboldt, did you, I don't even remember, you think I should, uh, did you go in for theater or did you? I did. Yeah. So um, high school, I was working with you guys at the Playhouse. I was getting paid for it. Um, and then I went to Millican High School, um, where my stage technician teacher, Bob, he had connections with LA Stage Call. So a lot of the alumni from Millican High School went into LA Stage Call. So I did LA Stage Call, which is sort of like a big labor house in Los Angeles. So we did like um, the Staples Center and some of like the convention center stuff and uh, big like 25 semi-truck ins and outs places. And so I was doing these sort of arena level shows and then I went to college. And so you did that I, while you were still in high school? Uh, summer between summer. high school and college. Yep. Yeah. That's so, awesome. um, yeah, so we did that. And then when I went to college, I took a lighting design course, like one of my first semesters. And my lighting design teacher basically refused to acknowledge technology past the 80s. And I was like, but I know LEDs and moving lights exist. And not only that, but I'm loading in these 25 semi-truck shows that like barely even have conventionals anymore. So I know mm -hmm. that this is the way that our industry is going. And so that was kind of frustrating for me. And ultimately I decided not to stick with the theater program and switched around a little bit and became an art major and did an emphasis in art education because I thought maybe I can pull the art education and the theater background together eventually. And that'll set me up to be able to teach theater in the future. What made you want to go into lighting or was it lighting specifically? Cause I know you have yeah. it as well, but why lighting? So at Millican um, and I started there my junior year of high school, I switched between Wilson and Millican. Um, and part of it was that they had, a more active theater program and they had a stage technology course uh, led by this guy Bob and he would employ four students to work on the weekends and the venue um, on campus at the high school was used like every single weekend to have dance competitions or children's theater groups or things like that and so there were sort of four staff positions available um, one of stage management one of audio one of lighting and one of like rigging. And so I just kind of started training under the lighting guy. And I had done some of that at the Playhouse already um, using their ETC Express console. Um, and so we had an ETC console at Millican as well. So it was kind of easy for me to transition into that because I already knew how to program a light board. Yeah, we so that works. That's kind of so that your school, your uh, college didn't want to progress past the 80s because they're just not educating their students then like there's no yeah, way yeah yeah and I don't know how long that guy was around after that first semester or two and they might be doing many better things now um 
but I just after working arena shows and then going to that and using literally like you know pencil and paper to make the angles of you know like the light plots and stuff it was just kind of like I know vector works is a thing (laughs) so much more convenient oh god yeah I was trained to do set design by hand but I was never even trained to do lighting design by hand my TD in college was like yeah you get the idea here's a computer it's smarter yeah yeah exactly and that was a number of years before you yeah (laughs) and I I don't know I enjoyed taking the art classes too and having some of the hands-on like sculpture and ceramics and things like that I was like I'm gonna pay money to be here I might as well have fun with it (laughs) (laughs) so true yeah (laughs) so then after college uh why did you decide to go back into the theater world professionally instead of into another artsy yeah, so ceramics or something? In college, even though I didn't go into the theater program, the academic theater program, um, the, the theater, the Performing Arts Center on campus had a season of shows. Um, so there was kind of this other entity that used the space and that was like touring shows that came through. So I continued to work in lighting and as a stage technician and unloading and loading trucks throughout the four years of college as well. Um, So I kind of had built up, you know, by the time I left college, like eight years of doing theater for work. And I knew that I could get paid money to do that. So I just kind of kept doing that and then had the degree as sort of this back pocket other path if I decided to go that direction. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish I'd have done that. I mean, most of my education in theater was what I learned in work study, not necessarily in the classroom. Right, right. Yeah. And I had been doing that, you know, before I got to college already. And so it was just sort of a natural transition to keep um, actively working in theater because it was something I knew how to do and I knew I could make money doing it. So, yeah. But the thing <laughs> is, you knew money. you could make money doing it. You know, like you didn't have to necessarily struggle and be like, oh, can I do this? Is it worth it? Yeah. You had witnessed people doing it. And you're like, no, this is something that I can actually pursue. Definitely. Yeah. What led you to, there was like steps in between, but what led you to Vegas? How in the world did you get that job? Yeah. So what the job is, I know what it is because I keep looking at your resume, but yeah. <laughs> how did you get it? So um, I've, for the past year or so, I've been working for Cirque du Soleil. Um, my title, I think is just lighting technician. Um, and the description that I interviewed under was that for a follow spot operator and I'm on the show Zumanity, which is at New York, New York, uh, casino. And there are five or six, I think, Cirque shows there on the strip. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's the touring Cirque shows kind of outside of that as well. Um, that's funny because when when I went to Vegas years ago with Sean, Ray and Jackie Pombo, we went and saw Zoomanities. I wondered, yeah. I remember <laughs> when you guys did that. Yep, we saw Zoomanities. Put two and two together, but <laughs> well, what you saw is, you know, more or less kind of the show I'm working still. Excellent. Yeah. Um so I think sort of kind of went through a restructuring period where there were a bunch of jobs that kind of suddenly became available. And for years before and after I was TDing, I was kind of watching job boards and offstage jobs and kind of seeing what things came up and, you know, just kind of applying to everything. And I had applied to a, a Cirque cruise show, like on a cruise line. 
And I had heard back about that. So I was like, well, at least some of my qualifications are good enough to hear back from a cruise line show. Uh, it didn't work out at the time because I think I was doing the TD thing. Um, but anyway, uh, I saw that a bunch of circ jobs kind of opened up around the same time. So they were looking for fall spot operators for Michael Jackson 1 and Zumanity at the same time. And then um, there was another show in Vegas at... Um, the Win, which is Larev. It's not a Cirque show, but it's another one of those water shows. And they were also looking for fall spot operators. So I kind of just gave my resume to all three of those places at the same time and just went out and interviewed one day. Um, it was coming up on the summer and I was like, I'm only getting paid, you know, whatever it was in freelancing, uh, X amount of dollars an hour. And I'm, you know, working really hard, but I'd like to kind of move forward. And so that's why I started looking at the Cirque stuff. And then I went out one day and I applied to a bunch of them. Um, and then I heard back and started working. Were you interested in doing Cirque or going to Vegas? Probably a little bit of both and also getting paid more to do what I was already doing. Um, <laughs> That's always better. Yeah, because so after leaving my technical director position, I went back to Northern California. So I was back in a college town but I'd kind of worked everywhere that you could work as a lighting technician. I was friends with the people that were the technical directors. And so I knew that there wasn't a whole lot of upward mobility to be had in that area at that time. So I'd kind of maxed out and I was, I mean, I was busy. I was freelancing and doing all the things that you could possibly do in the area, like lighting for roller derby, you know, and the children's theater and the touring nice. shows and the everything all at the same time. But just wanting to move forward, I was like, well, why don't I start looking at stuff in Vegas? And then um, my boyfriend, Jarrett, his dad lives in Vegas. So I was able to use his address on my resume when I applied because I at least had somewhere to land um, easily. And so that, I think, helped as well. I didn't apply with a California address because I was like, why don't I just say that I'm already here? <laughs> if I'm yeah. looking. Because I always look at that when people apply, like when I was at the Norris and I was doing interviews and somebody would apply in there in San Diego, I'm like, are your plans to move up here? Are your plans to commute? Right. It's a long drive. Yeah. So I think that definitely helped like, get the foot in the door, you know, to have the Vegas address. Yeah. So then you, how long was the time period between like the interview and being hired. I know some places I apply to, I hear back in like a week and some places it takes like three months. And I'm like, Oh, I completely forgot. I even applied to that job. Yeah. So I interviewed two places in the same day. Um, the first interview was at the win. Um, and they really liked me and they were like, Hey, can you come back later today and walk around the theater? Cause I had to run off and go to do this other interview. And they were like, we'll give you a tour of the space and everything else. So, oh, first, I would love just that. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I should have taken photos or something. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so I sat down and did an interview with the Win. They were looking for a part time uh, follow spot operator. And their schedule was set up that you would come in when the rest of the crew was going to dinner. And then you would stay and do the two shows. And then that was it. It was sort of like this half day kind of thing, um, which was part of the reason why I decided not to work there. But anyway, um, 
interviewed at the win, went over and interviewed at Zumanity. I went back to the win and I did my walk around tour and they asked me on the spot, like, can you take this job? Because they had two positions open. So they were even more in need um, than Zumanity. And I actually said yes uh, to Larev. And then on, that was Friday, I think. And then on Sunday, I heard back from Zumanity and they were offering a full-time position. And so then I said yes to Zumanity and I had to, you know, backtrack with Larev. But they understood because it was like part-time, full-time. Damn, two job interviews, which led to two job offers in like three days. Yeah. <laughs> ah, wish it was that yeah. easy all over the place. <laughs> I know. I, know. <laughs> but I guess, like, oh, I don't know what happened. Good. Yeah, I don't know why they were needing follow spot operators um, in town at that part of the time. I know Cirque had kind of switched it up and they had eliminated their, they used to have a head of lighting for each show and they consolidated it so the head of lighting works across all of the Vegas shows or I don't know if it's all the shows in general. Interesting. Yeah. So then people that have become like assistant supervisors became supervisors and there was a whole thing happening right around that same time. And so that might've been why some things opened up, but. That seems challenging. I think I would prefer having, I mean, I know it probably had to do with money and stuff, but to have one lighting supervisor per venue. Yeah, so the supervisors were were per venue. It was just the head then above that um, was across okay. the whole thing. But I mean, yeah, I wasn't totally clued into that because I was just uh, you know, just starting. Spot, yeah, <laughs> or you thought you were going to be a follow spot operator, uh, right? That didn't last long. How did yeah, you so jump up actually, so fast? Yeah, that came up in the interview process basically because I had read this job description. And it was for a follow spot operator. I was like, great, I could do that. I kind of geared my resume towards it, started putting in every single time that I ran follow spot and stuff. And then during the interview, a few different uh, funny things happened. Um, and at one point they started asking about video experience, if I had any uh, experience with like projection and things like that. And they were asking questions about um, like HDMI, and display port and things like that. And so I started kind of going off about my video experience, which um, again, kind of prior to the technical directing, I had done some VJing, which is like the visuals behind a DJ. <laughs> yeah. DJing? Um, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's really <Nice>. fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have like a MIDI controller and you control the opacity and effects of different video clips and you sync it up to the beats per minute of what the DJ is playing so that it goes along with it. Anyway, so I had this... Um, I was going to ask more about that. Yeah, yeah, ask more about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had this video experience and so I was able to kind of talk about the different software that I'd be using with video and they did ask me if I'd um, run ETC consoles before, which that's kind of my main wheelhouse um, on the lighting side of things. And so I think for my callback um, after that interview, I was like, so is this a follow spot position or like <laughs> what's with the projection and the light board questions? And they were like, yeah, well, that's just the description. But um, basically there are seven different tracks during the show. Um, one person on stage 
four spotlight operators, one of which is a lead, uh, projections, and lighting console. And so people learn multiple tracks, and then they can get moved around depending on how people are scheduled or if somebody has to be called out or whatever. And a lot of the lighting crew at Zumani has been there for a while. Like, I think the person who was hired last before me has been there for six years. So people have accumulated um, better PTO rates and things like that over the years. So they get a lot of time off per month. And I think one of the guys with the most seniority has something like, like four days off a month or something like that. So he's always taking four day weekends and things like that. And um, so they need people to be able to move around show to show and do different things. And so a lot of the spotlight operators know all of the spot positions and some of them know the deck position and some of them know the light board position. And then one other guy also knows the projection position. And then there's sort of a main projection guy who does it most of the time. And then the light board operators, um, there's two other ones and they kind of switch off between doing follow spot and light board operation too. So they needed somebody who would also be able to do the console um, for lighting and the console for projection as well. Um, Cause they only had like two people in each of those positions. So it was so advantageous for you, me to be able to do that as well. Yeah. yeah. So they pretty much told you right away that that was a possibility. It wasn't like they hired you for a spotlight and then waited yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I had a coffee conversation with my supervisor a couple of weeks in, and he was like, "Just so you know, this is what we're looking to do with you. It's not just file spot, and we're probably going to move you through each of the file spot positions pretty quickly." Um, and that's fairly unique across the other circ shows, as far as I know. Um, Zumanity is really interesting for a few reasons. One of which is that like with lighting, we move around a lot. Um, and then the show itself, there's something like 18 different acts or transitions throughout the show that each have different titles. And for lighting, they have macros of like, basically like a cue list for each act. And then you kind of stitch it together before the show. So there are acts that might be out um, one show to the next. Or yeah, we heard- might have... Yeah. I've heard people who see it and they're like, oh, did you see this one? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I saw yeah. the other ones you're talking about. Oh, okay. So it's like different scenes. And if somebody is not performing that day, then they just cut that whole scene out of the, the show. Yeah. Which Got is, it. again, like, I don't think any of the other searchers, at least the ones on the strip, I don't think they do that. Um, so we literally, I think it's like before we go to dinner, the stage management team sends out an email and it's like, this is the show order for the day. And then we plug it into the light board and the projection console. And you kind of know where, what you're doing as a spotlight operator. Um, and I think that happens for a few reasons, obviously injuries, you know, is one of them. And the others like vacation time. And then some people play multiple parts too, like the MC role, Stacey, you saw it. So you kind of mm-hmm. have a sense of that. Um, so the MC role could be played by the person who normally plays the MC role, or it might also be played by one of our clowns or one of our acrobats. And when it's the clown or the acrobat, they also do all their clown stuff or all their acrobat aerialist, um, stuff and the MC stuff. I think ours was just an MC. Probably. Yeah. That's who does it most of the time. 
Um, but the cues can, the lighting cues can change completely, you know, depending on who's MC for the night because they're coming in from a different direction, you know, yeah. and things like that. And there's so there it's a, a it's a fun show. Yeah, and there was a lot of audience participation. I was like, Sean, protect me. I don't want to be. I don't want to interact <laughs> with these people. <laughs> yeah. If you if it comes back, if, if you go in the future, you can ask the ushers. I think they give you like a sticker or something that says, "I don't want to be in the show." Oh, uh, we call damn. Those, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know we call that. those poo poo seats, and they go over. <laughs> Uh, the comm, the stage manager goes over the comm and is like, you know, we've got poo-poo seats and section, you know, whatever seat. No, no, then they call me out. Even worse. <laughs> just, yeah. just don't sit on the aisle or the middle. I mean, like the front or too. the aisles. Just stay yeah. like, well protected by people. It's always what I yeah. do at Cirque shows. <laughs> yeah. It is cool that uh, you said it's always... I forget the word you just used because you, you distracted me with your poo-poo seats. But, <laughs> like every show can be different, you know. You think about oh, I'm doing humanities and I do like you know 20 shows a week or whatever. But every one of those shows could be different. Which yeah. Is interesting. Does it get confusing when all of a sudden the MC is being played by the clown and you're used to them coming on from like upstage right and they come on from stage left? Like how long is during that training? It's pretty confusing. Um, yeah. I remember my first week when I was solo, like on the light, they didn't have anybody else helping me. Or if they did, they were just kind of standing off to the side. There were mm-hmm. something like three different MCs that we did all of our backups during that first week. And I was like, wait, what's happening? I was like asking before I would go out to the spotlight. I was like, who's on tonight? <laughs> right. what Where are, are they coming from? And, you know, of course we're all on headset uh, with one another throughout the entire show too. Um, the lighting crew's all on headset together. So we can ask questions and things like that. Um, and that's very helpful as well. Does How does that work? Man- <laughs> You're probably going to have the same question as me. Go ahead. <laughs> does the stage manager call all the spotlight cues? No. This is exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just the lead spot calls the spot cues. Um, and stage management calls the automation cues. Um, so there are four lifts on stage and one turntable and then the aerial stuff and um, set pieces that move and things like that. And so that's what the stage manager is calling. Um, and it's, it's a lot, you know, it, you wouldn't be able to do the lighting too. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. 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 So it's pretty crazy. And um, I learned a new word when I was working at Zumandi. I wonder if you guys know this one. Do you know, the word sloat, S-L-O-A-T. No. It's a acronym. It's, what is it? It's, um, it's something like stage uh, lifting or, uh, of course, I should probably Google it before I say this. <laughs> but basically, it's like the, the part of the stage that moves across an open hole and then moves back. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. I didn't know there was, I mean, I guess I should have assumed there was a name for it, but I didn't. Yeah, let me see if I can find the acronym really quick. Because I know, like, in we watched Kai and I saw Ka when we were there, and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like dumping sand into the pit hole and then covering it back up and then 
I guess something down there would move and then they would open it up and a ship would come out and the end of like just moving of all of that stuff. I just want to stand backstage and watch probably in 15 right. locations to see it all. Yeah. And that's the other thing. They have all these camera views of all of that. So they've got camera views of like the trap and below different parts of the stage where things are coming on and off. And that's predominantly like stage management's talking to the people that are giving the clears for those areas and things like that. Um, and so much of our shows aerialists too. So it's, you know, open holes above the stage as well and people flying in and out and things like that. So I got slope. Okay. It is sliding, lifting, opening, automated trap. Yeah. See, that's way too fancy. I, I don't even have tracks in most places I work. Trap, Maybe trap a, with a P. Yeah. Trap, okay. Yeah. Maybe a turntable. <laughs> I know. And I had no idea. I thought, I literally thought everybody was saying slope. Uh, the entire time, like for months <laughs> until I saw it written down. I was like, oh, this is a different word. <laughs> it's the slope because it's, it's kind yeah. of a slope. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's like a, a piece of set that moves across and back and then uh, the trap um, lift comes up and down. And so you could have, say, like a piano that's being staged underneath um, the floor of the uh, stage and something's covering that hole, that's the slope. So anyway. Twin, work on that in one of your next shows. <laughs> I know, seriously. Because that sounds super cool, and you would love to call something like that. Yeah. I mean, we sort of did something like that with uh, difficulty of crossing a field where we would, like, lower the orchestra pit and then, like, change the scenery on it and lift it, but we never had something that, like, covered it while that was happening. It just, like, went down, changed scenery, came back up. But, no, yeah. not as exciting. You need to go no. to Cirque level. Long Beach yeah. Opera is not Cirque. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Do you ever get to walk the other non-lighting paths, or do you get to like watch the show from another viewpoint, or have you? Um, I mean, from the booth, so the, the lighting board operator and the projection board operator all in the booth with um, the stage manager and then the automation board operator. Um, so that's fun. You get to see it from the front. And then mm -hmm. the stage itself is, it has a thrust. And so when you're one of the four spotlight operators, you're at like a completely different angle um, seeing things. So that's kind of cool too. Um, the worst spot position is the one that's right above the drum kit. <laughs> because you've got the noise of all the drums. Yeah. <laughs> so we wear like, um, I think they're like aircraft headsets. Uh, what are they called? The Dave Clarks. Uh, they're like big oversized headphones. Um, they're like kind of a green. Anyway, that's so that you can protect your ears as well as hear what's going on. Yeah, because you can't wear it like. How do you how do you not hear the drums but also then hear the calling the of the cues? Yeah, you just gotta crank <laughs> the volume. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah, I do wear hearing protection that, too. That I've done backstage. That's like that, especially if orchestra's on stage. I'm like, I just can't hear anything. Like, especially when I'm trying to listen to a singer, you know, and I'm just hearing like the brass next to me or something. Yeah, but. When I was a, a technical director, we did a musical, we did Godspell, and they wanted the band to be on the set, but it's in a black box. <laughs> and I was like, why don't we just put them 
we'll put him in like the green room and run like a monitor for the conductor <laughs> and we'll like pipe it in. And uh, eventually they were like, everybody on the production team was okay with that. Um, and to make the band kids feel like they were a part of it and cool, I had some like little LED pars that I borrowed from another department and I like set them up around the green room and like in the uh, like drum kit and stuff so that they were like, audio reactive and fun things going on in the green room <laughs> for the That's band cool. while the show was going on. And then they had a monitor of the um, stage too. So they could see what was happening and uh, the people on stage were able to see the conductor and everything like that. So That must have That's been awesome. fun. Yeah, but it was like, how do I convince everybody that we really don't want the band <laughs> on the stage <laughs> or behind the stage inside the black box? <laughs> yeah. At East West Players, it's a tiny little stage. It used to be a church. Uh, so it's kind of like uh, the studio at the Playhouse. And they're like, we're mm-hmm. going to fit five band members here. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> that's yeah, just like acoustically. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. With on the, the projections board and the light board, mm-hmm. do you have communication or do you, does your headset just go to stage management or does it go to the spots as well? Or is it only like the, the four spots are and everybody else is with? Yeah, so all lighting is on a channel together, including projections and the light board. As an operator, I tend to turn that channel down pretty significantly um, because you're also listening to stage management. And then I also listen to the MD as well. Um because projections and lighting both have cues that kind of go off of the music. And so mm-hmm. if the MD is counting them in. I use that more so than anything else really to go off of. And there's the show feed too. So you have the ability to listen to the, the feed of the show itself, stage management, MD, and lighting. But lighting's talking all the time. <laughs> so I usually turn them down so I can focus. And I've, I'm still in my first few months um, before the you know coronavirus hit of being on the light console. So I was still like, I'm going to turn you guys down and try to focus on stuff. Cause you're taking like bump lighting cues with drum hits and things like that. Um, so it's important to be able to hear the music as well. Yeah. And the countdown. Yeah. But it's not all just like time coded. Right. Yeah. And uh, there's more of it that's not time coded than you'd expect, I guess is the best way to describe that. Like, I was like, I really have to touch all this right now. Like it hasn't just been broken. Okay. Well, I think some of that is like, because, because it's so audience interactive and so many pieces change all the time, it's probably hard to automate just all of that. Yeah. Like when we saw caught, it's a whole story. It's like an actual plot. And so it, goes in the same order with the same people playing the same parts more or less this is so different like yeah the audience member decides to run off the stage or something yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) or they're just getting a little too friendly with the audience members (laughs) right yeah yeah something weird happens um yeah and uh just a fun fact i guess we do have sort of a if something bad has happened act um, or if somebody's late or whatever, um, there's a whole other act that we'll just bring in that's basically the singer going out and doing sort of a solo um, thing with the band. Uh, but we have like different spot cues for that and a different lighting look for that. So, so you could do that like just spur of the moment. 
Yeah, yeah. If they just, I mean, they'll call it out over headset. We'll know that it's coming. And the lead spot is also listening to stage management as well. That's an important uh, point to point out. But the spotlight aren't, the spotlight operators aren't. That seems so, I don't know if scary is the right word. That kind of seems exhilarating. But to be like, hey, so our next number is not going to be so-and-so. It's now going to be a solo. And then you just got to like adjust everything. Yeah. And we've got words for it. You know, we even have, there's a little rhyme. What is it? It's like one and two and three and four and three and four and five is our gel cues. (laughs) So spots one and two are in gels, three and four. And spots three and four are in gel five, something like that. Um, so we've got a little rhyme that goes along with it. So that's how you know when we're in the backup act. It's like one and two, <laughs> three and four, three and four. <laughs> There's so much stuff you have to remember. Yeah. And there are printouts um, for each of the spot positions. Like we've got what our gels are and our intensities for each act and everything and who we're on. And I always have mine out. Other people don't, especially those that have been on the show for six to 10 years. Um, But that's just sort of a comfort thing of mine. And especially coming from a world where you're doing one-off shows every night and you just get handed your sheet of spot cues from the touring lighting person. I'm kind of used to operating that way. So I prefer Mm -hmm. to have the paper with me regardless of how many times I've seen it so far. But I'm still in my first year, so. (laughs) you got a couple years to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Assuming the world comes back from this, hopefully. If and when, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. That would, yeah, I mean, I never ran a show more than just a couple weeks, but yeah, I'd always have my notes out. Even if, like, yeah. I designed the entire scene change, I still am looking at it beforehand being like, okay, is this right? Is this what's happening? Did I miss something? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah like and this is my bucket. first like any, like, resident show at all. You know, this is my first long-term more than six weeks show ever so i'd ask if you've gotten tired of it yet but uh you weren't really around for too long before everything got shut down (laughs) right so i think it was like i've been there for like eight or nine months and i'd learned five different tracks three fall spot projections and lighting so it was a little bit more than a month on each position which wasn't enough time to get tired of it completely Well, especially if it changes, like if the show itself changes somewhat regularly, you know? So it's like four different positions and different shows every night. I feel like it would take even longer to get tired of. Yeah, um, it's nice. It's nice that way. Because I know on, on some of the other Cirque shows, like if you're in one false spot position, that's it. You know, that's your position mm-hmm. for the rest of forever. So it's nice to have that flexibility. Yeah, I'd probably get bored of that. Yeah. <laughs> I also There's, don't like um, watching the same show over and over. I'm like, oh, the yeah. show's open. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. The uh, the guy that trained me on the kind of fall spot um, that they used there, my first uh, trainer, he has worked at Cirque since the year that I was born. <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of a funny thing. He was like, yeah, I've been working for Cirque since 1994. And I was just like, this is before I was letting everybody know that I was so young, you know? So I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, great, cool. <laughs> and then like a couple of weeks later, I don't remember what, how it came up, but they had figured out that I was 25 because <laughs> I was 25 at the time. And they're like, what, you're 25? And I was like, yeah. So, you know, the year uh, he started working for Cirque. <laughs> 
that you started working at such a young age that people... Right. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, that's why I like to lay out my resume um, to show the breadth of time. Because I really have been doing this for like over 10 years now. (laughs) Exactly. Even if you did just graduate from college not long ago, like you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) I think some people forget that. When people are like, oh, she's so young. And I was like, that has nothing to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. People use that as an excuse for anything. Yeah. Like, yeah, age comes with some, but whatever. (laughs) You already mentioned the um, macro data for the different things, but in your resume, you said that you helped create a spreadsheet. Yeah, so... Um, we got a new supervisor during my time there. Um, the first supervisor went on to work for a different Cirque show in town. Um, and so he wanted, instead of it to be just macros and numbers, he wanted to know what they meant in a spreadsheet form, especially for training. Cause that was something I ran up against, um, when I was getting trained on the light board was like, I don't even know what macro 27 does. I just know that it's being used in this queue you know, mm-hmm. so to kind of add a little bit more uh, description. Uh, so it's not just mover 38 is out of this queue or whatever um, mm-hmm. to know, okay, it's because this person is standing on this side of the stage and they're no longer there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I helped create a little spreadsheet for that. I'm surprised they didn't have something like that already, or did it just get lost? Over the years? Cause- yeah, I think it just changed a lot. Um, oh, and there okay. wasn't as much um, documentation, uh, documentation upkeep. And the people that had been running the light board before me, like the person that I replaced was there for years and years and years. Um, so a lot of it was like institutional knowledge. And the supervisors had, I think, all come through like internally, you know, people that had worked on the shows, part-timers and then full-timers and then became supervisors and things like that. So there was a lot of knowledge um, within the people that wasn't necessarily down on paper. And I was able to recognize that as somebody new coming in. And then my supervisor also recognized the need for that and was like, hey, could you write down like what you're seeing is, you know, the actual changes that are being made as part, in, instead of just the numbers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because half the time when I'm watching, or some lighting designers I'll be watching and they call a cue and I'm like, I don't, I don't see anything change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is there a new cue here? Whatever. Give us a stage manager something to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have asked for that to happen sometimes. I'm like, I'm bored. Give me something. <laughs> <laughs> call this cue. It does Just nothing. <laughs> but I am also the stage manager that's always like, what does this do? What is changing? Because I want to know what to look for. Because I like to. Right. If that doesn't happen, like if a light's supposed to come up on stage right and it doesn't, then I can like visually see that it doesn't work. And then I know that that needs to be fixed next time in case the ME is not watching it or the, you know, the, the board ops not watching it or whatever. So. Right. And there were kind of a few little things like that that happened where it was like, you know, somebody's out from the band for like a few weeks at a time. And uh, so we write a macro to remove a light from a certain queue, but then we have to also put it back, you know, like when mm-hmm. they come back. And just stage management saying that so-and-so's in the show doesn't necessarily mean that they know that we have to put a light back in, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. As a stage manager, I wouldn't think that like if I'm missing a clarinet player, I wouldn't think that I would have to rewrite a light cue for it. 
Right. Yeah. So there were a few little things like when I was board hopping that things like that happened and it was like, oh yeah, why isn't that light on that person? Well, cause I didn't know they were in the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's, a few days ago. Yeah. That's why it's important to read that, you know, show lineup and really like for the names too of the people, because it's not necessarily going to be called out in an act if a band member, you know, is back in or something like that. So. So that your job as board up to go through that list and to make the edits, or is there like a lighting supervisor that goes in and says, okay, this is what's changing. This is I get handed the printout. Yeah. So it's up to me to press the macro buttons that correspond with who's on stage or which acts are in. This is so interesting. Very different than how I, I guess I never really thought about it, but you know, just so different than like when you do one show that doesn't change, you know? Right. Yeah. There are a lot of things. That are different. I never really use, well, I don't do much with lighting, but I don't usually use macros for much. Macros are used for like the flashy lights for a dance number and then that's it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and you guys that's are using macros for everything. Yeah, that's how it was before I got on this show. I was like, oh, so that's how you do it. Okay. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, a big I think it's a lot. List. People don't necessarily know how to use it to its full advantage and so that's what they use it for yeah and it's definitely a use case you know like I would have no reason to build macros for each act in another situation I would probably just do like separate cue lists or like yeah um from dance especially like I remember we would just build a cue list per dance with that choreographer and then you know we pulled that up when they were in rehearsals and then we stitched them all together um but it wasn't macros and you know macros within macros and things like that so mm-hmm. so it's so a big ex- education as well yeah mm-hmm. so what exactly does a macro do i besides flash and trash i have no real idea yeah so it's basically just like a series of commands so it could be that it removes um a specific light from cues or it could be that it skips over cues it's just it's uh, yeah, just basically a series of commands, uh, and then they get assigned to a number. So macro four means you skip from queue ten to twelve, or macro five means that you remove light thirty-seven from queues eight and ten, or something like that. Hopefully, that makes sense. <laughs> it, it totally makes sense, but that also seems so complicated to try to keep track of. Yeah, yeah exactly. well, that's why you need, like, the list, you know? And that is a window that you can pull up on the light board that has each of the um, numbers of the macro and then the command of what it does. And that's why I was transferring that into a spreadsheet to say, okay, so when it's removing, you know, mover 210, it means that the spot on the violinist is not going to be in cues 35 and 36 or something like that. Got it. Got it. Yeah, well, yeah, that's why I'm like, how do they not have that before? But like you said, if that's just kind of like institutional knowledge, then they never really had need to write it down before. Yeah. First thing I would want to write down just in case anything happens. So do you hit all the macros at the top of the show? Or do you like do the macros throughout the show? Oh, so you just hit all the macros at the top of the show. So you're not like doing macros and like cues at the same time. Correct, correct. Yeah, so we have them labeled with the different names of each of the acts and sometimes even the people or the characters 
Um, so if a certain person's playing the MC, then I hit the macro for that and it changes, you know, um, different cues to be edited for that person's entrances and exits. Or I select, like I said, there's 18 different acts or so. I select which 18 we're using that night. And then um, if you wanted to take that all out, we've got like a clean show button, which kind of just reverts everything back to normal. But it's all the edits that need to be changed. So it's not that I'm selecting um, what's usually in the show. I'm selecting the differences, if that makes sense. Damn, I wonder how long the programming time was to do all of that. Not only design a show, but design multiple shows and then design something to change everything for the multiple shows. And a lot of that comes out of rehearsals. You know, even when I was there, it was like, okay, this person's not in the show anymore or we're adding this person to this act. And then you have to figure out how that affects lighting. And maybe we need time to look at stuff in rehearsal uh, before it's in the show that night or whatever. How much rehearsals do you guys have? Is it, do you go in almost every day in the like afternoon for rehearsals? Yes. So my day starts at 3.10 and then we do um, like a lamp check kind of after our first um, meeting and like walk arounds and stuff. And then uh, we go, depending on what the day holds, it might be that it's them doing rehearsals without lighting is predominantly what happens because it's usually people needing to practice certain tricks or um, work with coaches and things like that that need to be done under full lights. And then if say a new act is coming into the show, then we'll do it with full stage lighting. And sometimes we'll even do like a full on, I forget what they call it. Um, but it's, it's all technical teams present kind of a thing um, under full stage lights and stuff. And usually that has to happen before any major changes are made with the show in terms of like new music or totally new choreography or a new act being added or something like that. Um, and then I think it's like the artistic direction team is also in the house kind of confirming that this is what they want it to look like and everything else. So, so do you Does have it, design? Yep, probably same question. <laughs> Does the lighting designer come back in or there's like an, an associate lighting designer that comes in when a new act is going on? Yeah. So I have never met the lighting designer. There's, I think one guy that's done like all of the Cirque shows in Vegas is my understanding. Um, and then our rig has certain gobos or certain colors in it um, that are that designer's go-tos for this show. And then we kind of edit things using what's already in the rig. We're not really like adding totally new colors or totally new gobos or anything like that. We're just using from the stock that's already up. So we make changes and that's kind of up to the supervisor's discretion, I guess, lighting supervisor. Yeah, because you still have to know what light to turn on and what intensity and all that. Right, and so our lighting supervisor is usually down in the house watching um, during like that rehearsal time. And then they would ask, you know, the light board operator to change something or the spotlight operators to use a different gel or something like that. There's all these positives because Stacey and I keep thinking like, huh. Yeah. I know, I'm like, I'm ne that's so different than what I'm used to. I know. And here's the other crazy thing, just to blow your mind for a little bit. Cause there's so many things that have come up for me as somebody who usually does one-offs and stuff, um, the rig stays there. 
the entire time. (laughs) So we have these things that are like darks and you dust off the rig, (laughs) which means like blowing out any confetti or anything like that and dusting the lenses. But when we dust the lenses of the lights, we don't take the lights down. Because then you don't have to refocus or anything. Yeah, yeah. And there is a focus day too, but we take the lenses out, dust the lens, and then there's like a, usually there's like a silver Sharpie mark with where we put the lenses back in um, to tighten them down. And that's where they've been set. Uh, but yeah, it, stuff like that was just blowing my mind the first couple of weeks. I was like, oh, so we don't have to take the lights down. <laughs> like, it just stays there. <laughs> I mean, Which is great for the wear and tear on the lights, you know. Yeah, and saves time. You don't have to mm-hmm. pull them down and move them all over the place. Yeah. So then if you have to, like, replace a a lamp or something, are there also marks for that? And so... Uh, we just go up and walk up to it and take the back off. Um, most things are accessible um, okay. from walking around uh, positions. How much? Um, how much is uh, conventional lights versus intelligent lights there? It is predominantly conventionals and a lot of color scrollers, which they, they still is have color pretty sc- funny scrollers. They haven't switched them all to like LEDs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So That's it's excellent. Like, the show went in 20, 2003, I think. So it's kind of like 2003 tech for the most part. We do have movers and we do have some LEDs. Um, that should be said. But it's predominantly conventionals and color scrollers. And the funny thing about it being color scrollers is the last time that I worked on a show with color scrollers was like Frankenstein and Love. <laughs> Yeah, which was, I mean, we were at a storefront little theater, and I think I borrowed lights from the Norris and some other places, and we took lights from the Playhouse, and... Yeah, so I kept telling my coworkers, I was like, the last time I used color scrollers was like 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know how to maintenance them. (laughs) That's hilarious, because I always think Vegas has the newest, best, biggest everything, and they're still using color scrollers. Yeah, yeah, but it would have to go in because I think was it Lion King that did this a little bit ago at on um, Broadway or something where they went in and they were like they had to, they wanted to modernize everything they wanted to move over to all the new stuff but they pretty much had to come in and redesign the entire show because the lighting quality is different and the colors are different and everything's yeah. different so it's not like, switch out you know and so it was a huge thing and they closed they had to close down for a while to do that and so I would assume you know Cirque's not going to want to cancel their shows for a week to put in new lighting system if it works it works why not just leave it right yeah and yeah just put, keep pulling from stock and things like that um i mean there probably will be some stuff that they have to update like i know you know like par 64 lamps you can't yeah, really buy can't anymore them. so that that's one thing that i know that they were like specking out while i was there it's like what would it take to swap all of our pars and i think we did it we at Zumanity, I think we're the first show to remove all par 64s um, from our rig, and we just swapped them all to the Source 4 pars, which have the lamps that all the Source 4s do. Um, so that was cool. You mentioned there's a uh, refocus. How often do you guys go in and double-check focus? Uh, only if we've moved something, noticed something's out of focus during the lamp check. Or then we have a focus day at the end of each dark um, after we've blown everything down and dusted it off. Um, there are 
certain lights that as the light board operator during lamp check, I'm checking the position of like all the movers for everything, um, basically. And then the with the turntable, there are very specific like shutter cuts or gobo rotations that need to be in place on the turntable, especially for when the aerialists are coming in because mm-hmm. they use certain parts of these patterns on the stage to line themselves up properly for different um, tricks and wow. things like that. So those, it's like double check, triple check before we have the yeah. show kind of a thing. That's amazing. How often do you yeah. and, and dust everything? Um, Every three or four months, I think. It was a certain way and then they switched it up while I was there. Um, but basically it's when we don't have shows um, for a couple of weeks and that calendar's planned out at the beginning of the year. Um, and it has to do, I think, with like attendance at the hotel or conventions that are happening where they know they're not even going to sell um, that many tickets because there's something else going on in town. And so we don't have shows during that time. And the other shows on the strip also don't have darks that coincide. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure we stagger all of our darks. Um, so that you can always like see a Cirque show, except for the coronavirus. <laughs> can you, I mean, technically you can go to Vegas. They're still open. Weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you're working full time, how, what is full time? Is it roughly 40 hours a week? Is it 60 hours a week? Is it, what is full time for a Cirque show? So it's, uh, for my show, it's 40 hours a week, um, five days a week. Uh, we had, Wednesdays and Thursdays were our dark days during the week and then two shows a night. Um, so we would get in the theater at 3.10 and be clocking out by 11.10. Um, and that why was Wednesday, Monday. Why Wednesdays and Thursdays dark? I mean, probably because less people are in Vegas for some reason during that time. And period. again, I think they're staggered throughout the shows too. I don't know. I think somebody, some of the other shows have Monday, Tuesday off. and Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday is just ours. <laughs> we get Monday, Tuesday crowds. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing too. And so many of the people that come to our shows um, are coming from international locations too. So I was trying to remember, like, what did I do on Fourth of July last year? And I think I was just working a show. Like, <laughs> there wasn't anything special. So like American holidays, like, forget about it. You know, like, you're not gonna have that yeah. off because the audience isn't necessarily American. And the same thing goes for like Christmas and things like that. This last year we did have Christmas day off, um, but Christmas Eve we had shows. And I know that in years past, they've had Christmas day of shows as well. That makes sense. I mean, everyone goes to Vegas is traveling from somewhere else. So yeah, hardly anybody who lives in Vegas goes to see a Vegas show because why go downtown to see a show? Yeah. (laughs) Or they've seen it before. (laughs) Yeah, true. Do you get to see other shows? Have I seen? I don't think. I saw Love, the Beatles Love. Um, I wanted to see that one. No, I saw that with my family when they came out. And that might have been on Christmas Day or something like that. (laughs) Um, And then I do, I mean, I get comps and I've gotten other people in to see shows. But I think that's the only one I've seen since being there. You get comps to your shows or to like all Cirque shows? All Cirque shows. Um, yeah. And they're not technically they call them something else. What do they call them? They call them booth seats. 
So it used to be that there were seats in the booths. That people Damn, were that would be so exciting. Oh, that's what I want. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of them aren't in the booths anymore because they kind of decided that wasn't the best idea at a certain point with people talking or whatever, you know. No, unless it was like a stage manager or somebody who knew how to act in a booth. Like, I don't want other people standing behind me talking when I'm really busy. Right. Yeah, and people like just get up and start wandering around and it was just like, that. you can't do that. <laughs> Um, so they're usually drooling over their shoulders being like, what, what page are you on? What are you calling? How are you labeling your book? (laughs) Yeah. So I know at love, they were like seats that flipped down from the wall that you sat on. They were like, you know, jump seats, Um, (laughs) but they're different places for different shows. That's cool. As long as I would get to see them, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, before I moved to New York City, I was like, oh, if I ever lived in New York City, I'd see shows all the time. And then I moved here and like, I never see shows, you know, Matt and I are lucky to go to Broadway once a year, you know, so I'm sure it's the same in Vegas. You're like, oh, I can see all these shows. And you're like, nope, not happening. Yeah. Well, what do I want to do on the two days I have off a week? Go see another show? Like, uh, maybe not. <laughs> That's what everybody is like. Oh, you work in theater. You see so many shows. I'm like, no, when I'm not working, I'm not. I don't want to go to the theater and see a show. I'm only going to see yeah. a show because a friend's in it or something. Like, I don't spend my downtime sitting in the same place I spend my work time. Yeah. I like seeing shows. I just don't usually have downtime. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> or I'm, like, catching up with other stuff. You know, my days off are, like, catching up on emails and doing laundry or whatever. But Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What am I going to cook and do laundry? <laughs> exactly now i got so much time during covid i'm like jesus this is the perfect time for me to be seeing shows because i'm so bored at home and no shows are open (laughs) i did want to point something out um i went back and i listened to the other long beach playhouse people's podcasts uh, in preparation for this and i didn't realize that sean started in 2008 as well so yeah, he wasn't he there much that before. First. I know that blew my mind. I was like, "What?" You <laughs> <laughs> just had to he'd been there forever. Yeah. Well, as a you know new fourteen year old <laughs> wandering around, oh, I was like, "Oh, he's been here forever. Got it. Okay." No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> You're like everyone else has been here forever. I'm the only one that's new. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was still like Andrew's first year too. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I mean, it makes total sense now. And of course, you know, realizing who they are as people and like getting to know them during that time and everything else. Um, And, you know, trying to become Sean's friend for the first two years. That's everybody. You know how long he was new to get him on there? Well, he was just also very stubborn. He's gotten better. (laughs) But I was like, Sean, we're starting a podcast. You want to be on it? No. A year later. Sean, you're going to be on the podcast? No, a year later. Sean, you're going to be on the podcast. Just give up. I already have half the other Playhouse people on. He's like, I have nothing to talk about. I'm like, oh, my God, you're so, so stubborn. And then after we recorded the podcast, he's like, wow, I didn't even talk about half the things I thought I was going to talk about. I was like, see? And that's how I'm feeling right now. (laughs) That's what so many people say. And it's like, no, really, you got plenty to talk about. We originally yeah. wanted to do 30 minutes and then everyone was so excited about talking about theater that like after episode two, I think we extended it to an hour because it was just, it's so cool. And like even Cindy and I were like, wait, how do the lights work? What do you call that thing? Yeah. And it's so diverse. I mean, we all work in the same industry, but we all do things totally differently. 
you know, and the people that we work with are totally different and the shows we work on are totally different. So exactly. Cool. Oh, that makes me think. All right, so you're the youngest, right? Yes. Uh, as well, well as- at Cirque. Yeah. They did hire on um, somebody who was a year younger than me, like my last two weeks, but she was part time. So, congrats. Yeah. (laughs) How is the the diversity like? Like, is it pretty like um, gender diverse or? Yeah. So, I replaced the old crotchety guy on the crew, I think. (laughs) So, there were the kind of like last old roadie holdout, I think. it's mostly men. Uh, there's one other woman full-time. Um, and then there's one of our part-time people is a woman as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a little diverse, but I think it's getting more and more diverse with each kind of new hire. And I know for some of the other shows like, Oh, moved from five days to seven days a week. So they hired mm-hmm. hire on a whole bunch of people. And so I know they have like probably a lot of people that are under 30 and stuff. Um, but yeah, I was the youngest by, um, probably at least 10 years. Cause I just, most of the lighting technicians and spot ops I've worked with have all been men, which is just what made me think of it. You know, I now know a number of female lighting designers and one theater that I'm, I think it's Omaha. I want to say like half of their electricians are female, but I don't see that at many other locations. Right. So I saw it more in education, you know. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. In I do see it more in education. But. Actually, um, uh, the terrace at Long Beach. They have quite a two, few females. Yeah, they were. But a lot of other places I've been to, you know, isn't besides Omaha is. That might be mm-hmm. it that I think of. Like Portland and Philadelphia and Boston. I don't remember Boston, but yeah, they're almost all men, so. Yeah, and I would say probably even um, lighting might be a little bit more diverse than even sound. You know, I hardly know any female sound technicians, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Come across that a lot too. Of course, I don't know a whole lot of female crew people. Right, yeah. And here's three of us all together. Twins not really crew. (laughs) She's somewhat crew. She's production. (laughs) It counts, it counts. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay, last question since, like I said, we've gotten to an hour because that's how fast these things go. Uh, Twin stories. Got any good ones? So uh, it is, my mom is an identical twin. Oh, yeah. Stacey. Yeah, and it is my mom and my aunt's birthday tomorrow, so just shout out. (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. But, uh, uh, so with that, um, I took a DNA test, 23andMe, and it tells you your closest, like, DNA relatives and things like that, and nobody really came up. It was, like, fourth cousins and third cousins and things like that, and then one day I got an email about my DNA test results and they were like you have a half brother and I was like what (laughs) and then (laughs) I realized that it's my cousin Ben who is my um my mom's identical twin sister's son yep so my first cousin is genetically my half brother (laughs) 
Exactly. So that's kind of a fun fact. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and well, then, did I say, uh, yeah, the that? way that works, like if, if Stacy and I were to have married identical twin brothers, then our kids would have been siblings and cousins. Yeah, you know, that's crazy. <laughs> the same genes, which is, it's so creepy to think about, but yeah. <laughs> And I mean, me and Ben, we totally like look alike too. Like you'd think that we were siblings. Um, he put us next to each other. So. It's also funny because your two actual siblings are adopted. So you're closer right. to your cousin than you are to your actual siblings. Yeah, genetically. genetically. <laughs> yeah. And then really quick, um, when I was thinking about this, I remembered uh, something about you, Stacy. When I went to summer camp, um, after working at the playhouse for a couple of years or something like that, I went away to summer camp and Stacy and I had been texting a lot <laughs> prior to me leaving yeah. for summer camp. And this was back when texting was like really cool and fun too. And Stacy sent me printouts of like text messages that she would have sent me or things that she needed to keep me up on regarding the playhouse, uh-huh. as well as uh, photographs of set Sunday. <laughs> I have them somewhere in a box, but <laughs> you were I got you were like completely yeah, out of uh, like nothing. Like every couple of weeks, your mom or dad would be like, "Oh, we heard from Megan for like five minutes," and so yeah. it was like, "Why do yeah, I want Megan to miss phone. out?" <laughs> I didn't have my phone with me, but I I reflect fondly on that, and uh, you know, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Keeping me I completely form. forgot did I mailed did that. Before, or what? Yeah, yeah so she them. mailed me like a word Tackers. document. <laughs> all of the text and also just like what happened during set Sunday stuff. <laughs> well I mean we were spending like like constant time together pretty much like a week every three weeks yeah yeah um, because we'd go through tech Sunday which was like all day on Sunday and then we'd sit through tech for that week and yeah. then we'd have like two weeks off where you just text back and forth maybe attend opening night and then it would start all over again Right. And so then Megan disappeared for like a month and I was like, I don't know what to do now. Sean wasn't texting at the time. I could only text Andrew so much. So yeah. Megan, Megan got all the text messages. Yeah. But I mean, and it was really fun to receive that when I was away at summer camp too, because I was like, oh, I feel like I'm included. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know what was more fun for you or for Stacey to do that. Right. But when Twin disappears out of country for a couple of weeks, it's really difficult too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how it was. Except you were in <laughs> yeah. the country, you just didn't have any electronic stuff. So it was Yeah. No, she's alive. Her parents yep. show me pictures occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot that. That's funny. I wanna tell Sean when I see him yeah. tomorrow. Or talk to him tomorrow. Okay. One hour. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, so thanks. exciting. Definitely going to wish your mom birthday tomorrow. Uh, and I haven't seen your dad in forever. Because even after you went to college, your dad was still around the playhouse some. But both me and him have kind of fallen off. So, Yeah, well, if there were set Sundays, I'd say I'd be going to one. Because I'm not doing anything. But we'll have to look forward to that in the future sometime. Yeah. Yeah. You guys can just like, go up and stand in the parking lot. That's true. Yeah, we could. <laughs> just get some coffee. Stand in the parking yeah, stand lot. Stand in the back with the coffee. That would be still, great. still have keys. We can get in and make coffee. <laughs> All right. <It'd> be perfect. <laughs> okay, time to 
head out and grab dinner real fast. Yeah, But thank you, Megan. Say hi to your parents for me and your brother and sister and tell everyone hi. Yeah, I will. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstalk Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.